Last, um, last, sun, last Wednesday night, we took a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and 2 Corinthians chapter or 7, and I just want to read that verse to you in chapter 7 and verse 1, where it says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So we talked last week about holiness, about perfecting holiness, and how the fear of God is a motivator, it's an incentive uh, to, to live holy lives. If we don't fear God, then we're not going to have any desire to live a holy life, or we're not going to have the desire that we should have. And um, as I was sitting over there during that song, I was thinking of a verse uh, that says that the transgression of the wicked saith within my heart that there is no fear of God before their eyes. That, that's true. And when you see when you see the transgression of people, it tells you they don't fear God. And you say, well, I just think people, you know, are just the fear of God doesn't really play into it, well, then you're mistaken because uh, God's word is the guide and it tells us that. And so uh, he, uh, the passage we read last week says, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And so I'm just thinking again tonight about the, the importance of the fear of God. It directly influences our choices, whether we fear God or whether we don't fear the Lord. Uh, and so let's look at another passage that brings this out, and that's Hebrews 4. And if you're able to stand, let's stand together, please, and just read a few verses and get right into the message. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 1. Notice just the first four words. Let us therefore, what? Fear. Let us therefore fear lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Now we're going to look back in chapter 3 and where the context of this statement begins. But the general thought I want, to, I want us just to really keep coming back to in verse 1 is, let us therefore fear. We're going to look at who the us is that it's referring to, what it means to fear. And, and if... And if it's possible that we might be here tonight thinking, well, I just don't think, I don't think Christians ought to fear. Well, just take what the Bible says. Let us, therefore, what? Fear. That's what the Bible says. If I'm not fearing, I'm missing something. So let's pray again and ask the Lord's help, and we'll get into this text. Father, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you that we're not to live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. And Father, we want to live according to your word. We want to be guided by your word, instructed, reproved, rebuked, edified by your word. 
And so we pray that tonight your word would just encourage us in our journey, Lord, to enter into your rest, Lord, to experience what you have planned for us. And we'll thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So there's a bit of a, a, bit of a conflict here, I think, and it's worth just kind of thinking it through uh, for a moment together, and that is should we or should we not fear? I mean, there's Bible verses that tell us not to fear. There's more than 60 places in the Bible that it says fear not. That's a lot, isn't it? Fear not. Jesus said in John 14, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Jesus said, don't be afraid. The, most of you familiar with Paul's words to second, in 2 Timothy to Timothy, for God hath not given us the spirit of what? Fear, but power and love and a sound mind. So on one hand, God says, don't be afraid. We don't have to be afraid about the future. We shouldn't have to be afraid about, you know, and Jesus taught in the Beatitudes, we're not to be worrisome about the tomorrow and what tomorrow may bring. Uh, so fearing can be a negative thing. If we worry, if we fear, if we're worrisome, it's a negative thing. But we're also commanded to fear. Now let's go, hold your finger here in Hebrews and go to Proverbs and we'll quickly look at a few passages in Proverbs about the positive nature, the positive aspect of fear. In Proverbs chapter one, and this is not the only time we find this uh, teaching in Proverbs, but this is the first one, Proverbs 1, 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So a wise person fears God, and a foolish person despises God's wisdom. Go to Proverbs chapter 14. And another admonition about fearing, the positive aspect of fearing. Proverbs 14 and verse 27. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. See, the fear of the Lord is not a negative thing. It's a positive thing. Proverbs 14, 27. The fear of the Lord is is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. Thank God for that. And then go to Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 14. This is a very interesting verse to me. Proverbs 28 and verse 14. Happy is the man that feareth alway, but he that hardeneth his heart shall fall into mischief. Now, as you know, many of the Proverbs present similarities, two things that say the same thing, and contrast, two things that say the opposite thing. Here's the contrast, Proverbs 28, 14. Happy is the man that feareth always, but he that hardeneth his heart shall fall into the mischief. A person who hardens his heart, and we're going to see this in Hebrews, that one, one reason he hardens his heart is because he doesn't fear God. But notice how often verse 14 says, this happy man fears. How often? Always. Always. So as we begin tonight, let's just, let's think about how fearing can be a negative thing, but fearing God is a very positive thing. I'm reminded of another passage, and that's when Paul was writing in his epistle to the Philippians. 
And he said this, that we're, he said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work, he says, he didn't say it's going to make you a Christian, but he says, if you're saved, you work out your salvation by fear and trembling. I personally think that this aspect of wholesome fear is missing in many regards. It's missing. And the, and the result of that is people aren't, they're not really concerned whether they're faithful or not. They're really not that concerned about whether they obey or not. They really dismiss many of God's commandments. And part of the reason is because they don't fear God. There's no fear of God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of the wisdom. By the fear of the Lord, the Bible says, men depart from iniquity by the fear of God. I'd like to think that every time I've ever made the right decision and said no to sin and no to temptation, I'd like to think that every time I did that was just because I love God and because I'm a good person. But it's not always the case. Sometimes I do it because I fear God. And that's a good thing. Fearing God is a good thing. So let's go back to Hebrews now. And let's look at this passage that begins with those four words. Let us therefore fear. And we're going to examine them. Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to examine them in their context. And just make a few applications tonight. First of all, just look at the, the opening phrase. Let us therefore fear. Now this is going to seem very elementary, but I just want to look at every word in that phrase. The first one is us. One of the most basic lessons about Bible study is you ask the question, who is this speaking to? There are some places in the Bible that it's speaking expressly, specifically, and entirely to the nation of Israel. It's good when you read that that you understand who it's speaking to. Sometimes it speaks just to the apostles. So what is, who's he speaking to when he says, let us therefore fear? And by the way, that phrase, let us, is mentioned about seven or eight times in the book of Hebrews. And we're not going to look those up. But us is the fo equals the followers of Christ. Look at, up a little bit ahead of the, above that and. Hebrews 3, and look, look in verse 14. Hebrews 3, 14. Who's he speaking of? He says, for we are made partakers of Christ. So there's no question that us is a follower of Christ. It's a person who believes in the Lord, and it, and it speaks of us. And so per, let's personalize that. This phrase, let us therefore fear, speaks to me. I don't mean it speaks to me like God speaks to me in some special special revelation. No, it's just God's word is talking about me. I'm a follower of Christ. I believe in Christ. And this phrase, let us, is talking about me. And, and I ask you, is, is that you? Is it talking about you? And if you're saved, you ought to say, yes, that's, that's me. I'm a part of that. By the way, spiritual growth cannot, cannot happen in a person's life if they're not willing to take God's word and personalize it. And so we personalize. It's speaking to us. And then the next word we look at is the first word of the phrase, let, which implies a choice, an action, a volition. Let, it's a decision we make. Let, let us. So it's something that we do. And what are we to do in verse 1? We're to fear for what it's worth, in case you're interested. Uh, this is a translation of the Greek word phobia. Phobio, actually. We know what a phobia is. It's someone who has a 
they're paranoid about something, but in the texture it means to be alarmed, be, be alerted to something, to, to have a reverence and an awe. Let us fear. So in this verse, we, I, I as a Christian, you as a Christian, we're taught in this verse to be very to be fearful, to be cautious, to be watchful. And this is not always true, I don't think necessarily. I haven't tried to prove or disprove it, but I know this in many cases. It's just a simple, practical thought. When God commands us that we're to do something, it's often because we're not naturally inclined to do it. We need that commandment. We need that urging from the scripture. And such is the case here. I'm not naturally inclined to, to think about fearing God all the time. And yet God says that the man that fears always is a happy man. So God gives me a command to help me do what's good for me. And that's, by the way, that's the way God's commands are. He gives us commands to help us, you know, be what he wants us to be in ways that we're not naturally inclined to be. And so he says here, let us fear. And then the fourth word in that phrase is the word therefore. It's a very important word, as you know. And, and what is, it means that it's there for a reason. It's because of, because of what has been discussed, because of what has been written, because of what has been said, then we're to fear God. So, let's take a little bit and back up then and see what has been said in chapter 3 uh, previous to this, prior to this. Let's look in Hebrews chapter 3 and uh, beginning in verse, verse 7, I believe it is. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 7. And while you're looking at that, I'm going to look up another passage that I'm going to read from here in just a moment. Uh, because Hebrews chapter 3, beginning in verse 7, is almost a direct quote from one of the Psalms, uh, Psalms 95. And um, so look at Hebrews chapter 3, if you would, in verse 7. It says, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost said, Today, if you will hear his voice, Harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the day of the temptation in the wilderness when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works 40 years. So what, what event uh, is the writer of Hebrews talking about? He's talking about, and by the way, this context that we just began in verse 7 goes all the way into chapter 4. So what is he talking about? He's talking about in those when the children of Israel made that choice not to go in and possess the land, and they spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. And he's saying, don't do that. Don't be like that. Um, and the result of that in verse 10 of Hebrews chapter 3 says, Wherefore I was grieved with that generation and said, this is what God says, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed there, brethren, lest there be in any of you. Now he's talking to us personally. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. I want to read from uh, Proverbs 95, or Psalms 95 for a moment. You, you follow along in your Bible beginning in verse 7 where we read, Today if you'll hear his voice 
And I'm going to be reading from Psalm 95. It's not exactly, but it's, in, it's very close. He says, today, this is Psalm 95, 7. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart as in the provocation, as in the day of temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my work. Forty years long was I grieved with this generation and said, it is a people that do err in their heart, and they have not known my ways, unto whom I swear in my wrath that they should not enter into my rest. Now, I take the time to do that for a couple of reasons. One is, I think it's interesting how often New Testament writers quoted from the Old Testament. I've mentioned this numerous times in the last uh, months, I think, from, our, from this pulpit. And the reason is because it... it it concerns me, and I'm not saying anybody in this building would do this or our church would, but it concerns me when people dismiss the importance of the Old Testament because it, it's not to be dismissed. Paul himself referred to it, if he wrote Hebrews, whoever wrote Hebrews, from the Old Testament and quoted it almost verbatim. And so this is the context. The context uh, is a warning that we wouldn't do like they did when they disobeyed God there and, and went into 40 days of wilderness wandering. So verse 13, we're in Hebrews 3. Look in verse 13, and let's quickly go through the rest of this chapter. He says, so verse 12 says, Take heed, be warned, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. And I don't mean, think that means departing like losing your salvation. It means turning away from God, turning away from God's will. Verse 13, it says, but exhort one another daily while it is called today. That's a, that's a clear in, in instruction concerning fellowship with one another, exhort one another. And then verse 13 also, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. You know, probably many of us could identify in our own life how sin has the ability to harden us. And, and maybe we've even seen that in other people. Sin, sin is a dangerous thing. Sin hardens. Sin cal it's like makes our heart callous. Verse 14, but we're made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. By the way, and that doesn't mean we have to hold on to our confidence in order to be saved. It just means if we are saved... We will hold on. While it is said, verse 15, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation. For some, verse 16, when they had heard, did provoke. Some, when they heard, they did harden their hearts. Howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. But with whom was he grieved? Forty years. Who was God grieved with? He was grieved with those who did not obey him, who did not... Trust him who do not believe. Verse 17, was it not with them they had, that had sinned whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believe not. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. So those who refused to obey fell in the wilderness. Their carcasses fell in the wilderness. And you know what happened to them? They will never see they would never see, with the exception of Caleb and Joshua, they would never see the land that God promised them. Imagine this. They're God's people. They were given these promises. 
and yet they would never see what God promised for them. Now, that's interesting as far as Israel's concerned, but it's not just talking about Israel because that brings us right into verse 1 of chapter 4 that says, Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. So he said, let us fear, let, we ought to fear falling short, really, of what God has for us. Now, there are two ways to interpret, really there's more than two, but two different ways to interpret this passage, that it could be just talking about salvation, that, that, if, we, that if we don't believe God's promise, then obviously we can't be saved, we can't go to heaven. But the other way is in the matter of faith and obedience as believers, um, and in reality, there's, there's so many things in here that speak about how that really parallels the fact that it, the Israelites forfeited what God really had for them because they wouldn't give up what they wanted for what God wanted and the way the same thing can happen as believers. So he says, we're to, we're to have a certain fear about that. Look in verse two, for unto us, was the gospel preached as well as unto them. We've heard the good news, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. That's such an important principle, really, uh, related to this, but just in general, if you just took that out of that passage and just let it stand on its own merit, the, word, the preached word doesn't profit everyone. It only profits those who believe it. The word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Uh, any, any truth that's preached has the power to be profitable, to be helpful, to be beneficial. But just preaching it doesn't help people. It, only, it may help, help them feel better because they went to church, but that's not really helping them. What really helps people is when they believe it, when they act on it, when they receive it, when they mix, the Bible's language is they mix faith with it. They mix faith with the word of God. And verse three, he goes on and talks about how they entered into Canaan, into God's rest. And the context to them is Canaan. But you know, no matter how many hymns say this, Canaan is not a picture of heaven. You know, there's a lot of go uh, Southern gospel music, you know, about, you know, crossing Jordan into heaven and, you know, all that. But that's really not what Canaan is, uh, is a picture of. Canaan is a picture of God's people who had been promised an inheritance to Abraham and his descendants. And Abraham's family had ended up in Egypt for 400 years. And they still hadn't, they still hadn't occupied that land and when they finally, after they got to Kadesh Barnea and the 10 spies were fearful and said, we can't do this. And God said, okay, I'll let this entire generation die in the wilderness 40 more years. So you got 400 and then you got 40 more and they're still not in Canaan. Canaan was not a picture of heaven. It's them getting to their inheritance. It's getting to what God promised for them. And, and so... They forfeited that. And verse 3, it says, As I've sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. In other words, 
they could have gone in and, 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 and really inherited and experienced what God had planned for them. I don't think it's being, I hope it's not being critical. I think it's just a rational um, observation that far too many people who profess to be saved aren't really experiencing the victory in their life that God intended for them. God's idea for us is not just to save us so we can just be like the rest of the world. God's idea for us to be saved so we can have victory in our life and be a testimony to others of the difference Christ can make. And I think that's one of the things that's illustrated in this passage. And so back to our beginning place, verse 1 of chapter 4, he says, Let us therefore fear lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. He's talking to believers. Any of you should seem to come short of it. We're to fear falling short or falling of not accomplishing what, what God has for us. And um, if, I, if I were to, uh, without, without this passage of Scripture or similar passages, you know, if I were to ask someone as a Christian, does it really, do you really believe that you're experiencing everything that God has for you? Quite frankly, sometimes people will say, well, I know I don't really know that I am. Well, this, the question that I'm kind of probing about tonight is, how much does that bother you? you know? How much does that concern you? Because the Bible says we ought to fear. We ought to be very concerned. We ought to be very troubled if our life is falling short of what God has for us. And we may see one of our children and they profess to be saved. We're glad they're saved. But, but God has something more for them than just being saved. God wants them to live in the center of his will. God wants them to be, to be uh, experience the inheritance that we have in Christ. And how would, you know, if we look at the children of Israel as an example, and this is very easy for me to see, you have the children of Israel that are delivered by the blood of the Passover lamb out of Egyptian bondage. And they leave Egypt, they leave a picture of the world through the blood of the Lamb. And then you have the fact that they, because of their unbelief, because they grieved God, they wasted their life in the wilderness, never seeing the inheritance God had for them. And then you have another phase when all this bunch died off, another group goes in First battle of recognition was in Jericho when God mightily defeated the, the inhabitants of Jericho, the walls tumbling down. You know what? They're experiencing there what God intended for this group to experience here. But they didn't. And, they, and it wasn't because they, God wasn't big enough. It was because they were full of unbelief. And when I think about the subject of fear and, and the fact that fear... A pr the proper fear, a wholesome fear, is a great motivator. It's a great, gives us great incentive. And I, I don't know how you feel about this. Maybe, maybe I'm the only one that really needs to hear this. 
But if we're not fearing God like we should, we're not going to see our lives be everything God wants it to be. We, we must, we must see. This is not, I don't think this is a, a cure for everything that ills Christians, but I'm telling you, if we don't have the fear of God, we're not going to have what it takes to say no to temptation or to say yes to God's will or to follow God's will. And so, we're, so basically what he's telling us here in Hebrews 4.1 is that we're, we're to fear failing to accomplish God's plan. Let's just personalize. Let's think about your life. I think about my own life. You know, what if, I, what if we just decided, I'm just, I'm just not really going to take this matter of serving God serious. You know, I'm not going to really be serious about missions, supporting missions, praying for missionaries. I'm not going to be serious about sharing my testimony with others. I'm just going to kind of go to church and sing songs and fellowship with Christians, but I'm not really going to take this seriously. You know, just saying that ought to cause every one of us to say, that's not what I want. I want to do what God wants me to do. I want to be in the center of God's will. I want to experience everything God has for me. And, and, and really, well, he wants us to. But, but, but he says we ought to be afraid lest, you know, that we have to. I, I mean, you, you think about this yourself. Maybe you have friends that you're concerned about their spiritual life. They say they're saved. They come to church, maybe. But as you look at them, you don't see that they're really seriously pursuing God's will for their life. You know, should they be, should they be concerned about? I'm concerned for them. I'm really very concerned for them. We ought to have a fear that this doesn't happen to us. And I think this fear is actually missing in too many regards. Now, people can get stirred up about a lot of stuff, right? I mean, they can. That's amazing to me. I, people can get stirred up about vaccines and stirred up about masks. People can get stirred about all kinds of stuff. But, you, but try to get those same people stirred up about soul winning. Are witnessing. They're not, that, that doesn't really move them. I just say there's something wrong with that picture. We ought to be more stirred up about God's will than we are anything in this world. And I'm not saying I'm for masks and vaccines. I'm just saying that to me, compared to giving to missions and witnessing to people, that doesn't even, those things don't even make the radar compared to the thing like raising our children to serve God. Those things don't even measure, on, they don't even make the radar concerned of them. But a lot of other people, those are the main things about life. I'm just telling you, we ought to be more fearful that we fall short of doing God's will. That's the thing we ought to really be more concerned about. Um, so God's word tells us to fear that we might, the, the, the idea that we might fall short of God's will for us to life. You know, God... God has a will for us. Look at the, look at the language in verse 3. It says, as I, God is speaking, As I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. God says it's my rest. It's not, it's not a life of leisure. It's just entering into God's rest, into God's plan for us. Look at one other verse, a little further into the chapter. Look in verse 10 of Hebrews chapter 4. And this, this whole subject of God's rest continues, obviously, down through verse 11. But look in verse 10. He says, for he that is entered into his rest, talking about God's rest, 
For he that has entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works as God did from his. Now that's, that's not, it's not complicated, but what it's basically saying is, I can, I can live my life doing my works or I can live my life doing God's works. And when we cease from our own works, that means that we, God has a plan for us. God has a will for us and we want to do what God wants us to do. So we have these two groups and there in Hebrews it describes the, the big event there in Numbers. Uh, and one group, one group entered into Canaan. They ceased from their own works. They claimed their inheritance. They were victorious. They saw God work. They saw abundant life. That's one group. And you have another group that died in the wilderness. They, they didn't just die instantly. They lived their life out and just died. A wasted life. They just died. Uh, they, these things characteristic were characteristic of their lives. They were murmur, murmuring. They were complaining. They were unbelieving. They had, an, they had an affinity for going back to the world. And um, I don't want to be in that crowd. I don't want to be in that group. And I, I would hope you would not as, as well. So we're talking about the fear of God. Let's wrap this up. Last week we saw how the fear of God motivates us to cleanse ourselves and live holy lives. It means that we're going to make... We're going to make prudent choices about our associations, about our, our activities, about our conversations. The fear of God helps us. But here we also see that the fear of God helps us leave our own plans and say no to what we want, embrace what God has for us. And fear helps us. I, you know, I sometimes when I think about our young people and I, I'm concerned about, about um, their future. I'm concerned about their spiritual decisions. I just want them to grow in the Lord and choose to live for the Lord. And I, know, I would hope that every one of their parents wants that. But if, but if there's not an element of respect and awe and fear and reverence, it's not going to happen. And so I don't, I don't think a parent ought to sit down with their child and just beat them over the head with this matter of, you know, God's going God's to destroy your life if you make a wrong decision. I think you can go overboard on it. But I'll, tell you what, but I'll tell you what I think would even be worse than that. And that's to teach them that God doesn't really care. That God's not really interested in those choices. That whatever you do, God's okay with it. I want to tell you, that's a lie. And we need to teach people to fear the Lord. We need to teach ourselves. We're going to take a lesson maybe next week. But I want to take a lesson and just devote it to the whole subject of learning to fear the Lord. How can we learn to fear the Lord? Every one of us ought to be concerned about this. And as I look at my own life sometimes, I know there are times when I spend too much time fearing the wrong things. Like what people think. Or like some troublesome News, fearing the wrong things. Like I fear sometimes that we don't fear, we fear the wrong things too much, but we're not fearing the right things as much as we ought to. And I trust tonight that God would use these lessons to motivate us to think about, you know, I want to 
I want to learn this matter of fearing God, and I want to teach it to my children. I want to teach them to learn to fear God. What does God think about this? I don't think, I don't think it's a, a stretch to say that if a person could learn to do this, if they would make decisions and they would preempt those decisions by saying, what would God think about this? What would God want me to do about this? Would this be pleasing to God? I think it would help us avoid a lot of mishaps in our life, a lot of bad decisions, because as much as we like to have our way, God didn't put us here to have our way. He put us here that we might do His will, that we might follow His will. And that's always best, even if it's not our way. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and I want to save a few minutes tonight to pray about some things, but let's... Let's just pray about this for a moment. While our heads are bowed, would you, would you examine your own heart and say, Lord, do I really fear you the way I should? Is there something I could learn about this? Is there more I need to practice, more I need to know about this, about fearing the Lord? And I think all of us could say that to a degree because that proverb we read said, happy is the man that feareth always. You know, it'd be good for us to always maintain a reverential awe and fear and respect of God and a dread of displeasing Him. Our Father, we know tonight that you love us and you're a good God and you're caring and compassionate and merciful and long-suffering. But we also know that you want us to fear you, to respect you, to have a genuine, recognizable fear that we might fall short of what you have for us. God, help us to be more than hearers. God, help us to be doers of your word. 